terrorism. Follow the money. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and you're a terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, <laughs> follow the money. Have you, when have you thought about terrorism and money? I mean, you know, there are different ways we might think about it, like how much it costs to build a house that would be impervious to a terrorist, or how much it costs to, to buy an island, a little island, where we could be feel safer from terrorists, or how much money it costs to um, help people who have been uh, victims of a terrorist attack. I mean, there are different ways that you may have thought about terrorism and money in the past, but it's not really typically um, what we think about. And I've been um, coming up with some uh, interesting little tidbits um, to just give you sort of a, a potpourri of terrorism and, and money. Um, because there are significant ways that money is really the difference, and maybe a dollar is what separates us from a terrorist attack. Now, I know what you're thinking. What? That sounds a little extreme. But if you think about how much money we are spending, whether it's, you know, one way, of course, that we think about money and terrorism is how much money it's costing to fight terrorists in the Middle East. I mean, that's sort of the most likely way that we would think about that. Um, but, you know, how much, there are other ways as well, and how much is this, how much is going to be enough? How much is enough? When is it going to get to be the point that um, we're, we're a dollar away, and yes, I'm being, you know, I mean, that's, sort of being um, maybe sensational, but it's, it's, it is true. You know, we could, in fact, get to the point where uh, the reason why terrorists win is because we run out of money. So let me give you some examples from this potpourri. Um, there is a story about how the French judiciary, the people in France, the government and the investigators in France, are cracking under the weight of terrorism cases. So these statistics are crazy, crazy scary. Um, France, you know, has had to increase their efforts to combat terrorism. Uh, and they are sort of, it's like they're waking up and realizing, <laughs> OMG, uh, there are a ton of terrorists in our country. And a ton of, terror, of, of country people, people who lived in France, who have gone over to the Middle East and joined ISIS. It's like, you know, they're suddenly waking up to this and, um, you know, being, uh, realizing that they need to do something. But at the same time, the president of France is realizing that he has been trying to, President Emmanuel Macron, he has been trying to curb public spending at the same time that he is trying to make people feel that they are safe from terrorists. And these two things are at odds. So um, there is so much work for the investigators and the courts to do that they don't have enough personnel to do it. And in fact, just recently, an army commander resigned over these budget cuts. So 
um, let's look at the, the statistics. Uh, the workload of the anti-terrorism justice system has increased 10 times in the past five years, especially since 2014 when, um, the, when ISIS uh, specifically called for attacks targeting the French. That's when things really increased. But, you know, as I've mentioned before um, in previous podcasts, I lived in France. I lived in, um, in Europe. I went to medical school in, at the University of Louvain in Belgium, Université de Louvain, en <laughs> Belgique, and in French, and, um, and lived in Paris. Um, and so I saw, you know, the beginnings of what we now recognize uh, are strongholds of terrorists in Belgium and in France. And of course, I lived also for a while in London, uh, studying there too, at uh, the um, Anna Freud's clinic and so on. And uh, so I, I saw the beginnings of all of this. I look back now, I mean, you know, at that time, to be honest, I actually was um, afraid. I mean, afraid. I mean, I, not necessarily for my own personal safety, because I am tough, <laughs> but, but afraid for what, the, um, what this may mean for the world in years to come. And lo and behold, indeed, this unrest, I'm talking about unrest, I'm talking about mass immigration, you know, what felt like mass immigration at the time, um, of people from terrorist countries into London and France, Paris, and Belgium. And, um, and now, of course, it has increased enormously. But those were the beginnings. And, um, you know, these sort of premonitions or um, concerns, you, you know, seeing things to come. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm psychic. I'm just saying that it was kind of the unrest of these immigrant populations and their poverty was really pretty obvious. And, um, you know, at that time, I mean, this was before 9-11. So, um, no, actually, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a second. Yes, it was before 9-11, uh, before I became the terrorist therapist. And so, you know, it, I wasn't studying it to the detail, uh, to the intensity that I am now, but just living it, being there, um, was enough to sort of, and, and if it was enough for me, who wasn't studying terrorism at the time, certainly one would have hoped that it would have been enough to, um, for the people, the governments and so on, the people who were studying terrorists even at that time, to pay attention to it and to try to do something to curb it. Now, now, <laughs> the people in France and the people in the UK and the people in Belgium are waking up and like, oh my God. What do we have in our backyard here? Well, it's a little late, but obviously we have to, we have to, just means that we have to work harder to control what this uprising uh, means and, you know, how much worse things can get. Anyhow, so, um, getting back to the statistics in France, in Paris, well, in France, actually, these aren't just um, Paris statistics, um, the, there have been more than 240 people killed in the past three years in France. And this includes 130 by ISIS uh, during the Paris 
suicide bombings. Remember in November 2015, the Bataclan, the stadium, the restaurants, and so on. That was the major attack in Paris. Um, I mean, there were some other major attacks before that. Well, not, not as major, but, um, but, but that's sort of a, a turning point. And actually, before, the, before 2014, they used 2011 um, as the turning point. This was the year that, um, the, that uh, Islam, Islamist militants um, killed three Jewish schoolchildren and three soldiers near Toulouse. And for some reason, they are looking at that as a turning point. Um, at that time, you know, and then of course, since then, the attacks have increased in the number of people killed and injured and, and their severity. Now, in 2016, there were 240 new terrorism-related cases that were opened. Um, and in 2017, there, in just the first three months of 2017, 130 more were added. added. So in other words, the number of cases are, are just dramatically increasing, whereas the number of people, the investigators and, and magistrates to handle these cases um, are pretty much staying the same or only increasing slightly. So the total workload um, of these um, these court cases uh, was 621 and 452 of them were either early stage or full inquiries into suspected Islamist militant activity. So, and then we and then listen to the number of actual investigators and magistrates. We have, um, the number has doubled since 2012, but it's only 14. These are investigators, 14 investigators to handle um, hundreds of, of terrorism cases. And then as far as the magistrates and judges, um, there were seven or eight, and now there are 11. I mean, the number of terrorist cases, inquiries, quest people that they are suspected of being terrorists, are in the hundreds, and there are just this small number of people who are supposed to be dealing with them. So the um, head of the French Association of Investigating Magistrates said, we're not at the breaking point, but the question now is how long it can last like that. So the, um, and, and the number of people that they're estimating uh, leave for Iraq and Syria to join ISIS is between 1,800 and 2,000. So these are people who, if they return to France, are being investigated. I mean, one would hope that they are, that they are finding all of them to investigate them, and yet there are so few investigators. So, and part of the problem also is that um, it used to be that if you were convicted of a terrorism-related offense, you would get 10 years in prison. Now people are more likely to get 20 years in prison. But the problem is that if you are facing this heavier sentence, then you are entitled to get, at least the way it is now, you know, according to the laws now, you are required to have a trial by jury 
of professional magistrates. So needless to say, the backlog of all of this, bottom line to all these statistics is that the backlog is growing and growing, whereas the number of people who are supposed to be handling this um, is pretty much staying the same and very, very small, a very small number. Now, at the same time um, that money is having to go out to pay for investigators and, and magistrates and so on, um, or that money is needed to pay for more, should, I should say, money is going out, it's, you know, it's uh, going out the other end. Here there's this need, this huge, um, overwhelming need to pay people to investigate and try these cases. At the same time, France is leaking money by the same or similar outrageous numbers. They have, again, just awakened to the fact that, I know, I, I sound, well, uh, I guess I sound angry. I'm being really sarcastic and I'm angry because, you know, as I said, they should have awakened to this um, a long time ago, years ago. Okay, so um, at the same time, they're losing money daily because there is money going out to people, French, well, people who once lived in France, who now live in the Middle East, who are helping ISIS, fighters for ISIS, they are getting their social security. <laughs> they're ISIS fighters. They're in the Middle East. France, well, I should say, the relatives of these fighters are getting, collecting their social security from France and sending the money to them. Do you believe that? So now it really pays to be an ISIS fighter, right? You get your social security. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, they, there's this um, an anti-crime unit in France called the Criminal Brigade, and they supposedly have been working for years to disrupt the financing of extremist organizations, and they have just recently discovered this scam where relatives um, are sending money to French ISIS fighters, the social security payments. And um, they think, they, they're estimating that the, this money has been going to as many as 100 French ISIS fighters. But I suspect that it is really going to a lot more and they just need to dig a little deeper. Um, as many as one-fifth of the total French ISIS fighters have been receiving payments with by family members sending money through Turkey after picking up the fighters' um, money through using the fighters' documentation um, and going to the Social Security office and picking up the money, sending it through Turkey to uh, wherever they are in the Mideast working for ISIS. And in France, an unemployed person can get as much as $640 a month. So that is not chump change that is going to the ISIS spiders. They take uh, their photo cards, the photo cards of the ISIS fighters, and the parents get the money, and then they send it. Um, between 2012 and 2017, investigators identified 190 relatives who transferred money from France to ISIS fighters. Um, or to jihadis who fight for, 
who fought for Al-Qaeda in Syria uh, before this, before 2014, before ISIS. And then they also found 210 other fraudsters who were not French nationals. Um, and so altogether, they're estimating, and again, these figures are really low because I am sure they are very embarrassed to admit <laughs> that all this money has slipped, slipped through their fingers. So they are estimating about $590,000 had reached the hands of jihadis from France people who would become ISIS members or who were already ISIS members. And then they also um, estimated that ISIS had received more than $2.3 million from Europe just in this past year. So in other words, from Europe overall, not just from France, ISIS got $2.3 million um, from about 420 scam payments. So, you know, um, and then, then just other estimates, they, uh, um, they're at, in, in France, they believe that there are as many as 18,000 people suspected of being radicalized or on the verge of radicalization. So in addition to these hundreds, you know, these the money, the millions, actually, and the going out to ISIS and the hundreds of people who are, you know, part of this, these scams and so on. Um, there's even just the people, you know, the estimate of the people in France who are being radicalized is 18,000. How do you, you can't lock up 18,000 people. Um, you could, however, try, you know, spending money on, um, uh, investigators or institutions, you know, bodies that, that will send these people home. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, part of it is all this political correctness that has um, gotten in the way of that. So um, they found just in, in they, a French court, just as an example, recently sentenced a mother of three children to two years in prison to, for sending money to her young son, who is um, in the Middle East fighting for ISIS. And uh, she said that she had no knowledge that her son would be using the money for those activities. But the court decided in their wisdom that indeed she was not telling the truth. No idea. You know, I love it. All these relatives, you know, the wives and the different relatives of... Um, of, of terrorists, of people who committed attacks or, uh, you know, take the money, have money funneled to them and so on. The family has no clue. Right. Then we have another example where money is an issue in this potpourri. Um, and that is that Somalia is saying there was a, a, a report or a plea from um, this man, Mr. San Balouche, who's the Director General of Somalia's National Intelligence and Security Agency. And he um, was moved to make this plea after, as you may know, the, on October 14th, there was a truck carrying two tons of homemade explosives and it blew up in Mogadishu and there were more than 400 people who were killed and, um, and thousands hundreds, not thousands, hundreds, 400 people killed and hundreds more that were wounded. 
So this was a huge, huge terror attack. And um, they, so this, this man, who's the head of the uh, Somalia's National Intelligence and Security, Security Agency, is saying that they don't just need um, people to feel sorry for them from, you know, um, America and uh, other nations condemning the attacks. They need money and um, they need expertise and equipment from people who are saying this was a horrendous attack, you know, like the United States. And um, they are, there are about 8,000 fighters, Shabab fighters, who are still in Somalia and still wreaking havoc and exploding bombs and so on. And they are, you know, ex ex he explains all the reasons why they need more, um, more money, more ways, to, more help in actually paying for things that will um, help to win against the terrorists. And so, so what do we do? You know, um, do we, do we, how can we resist um, sending money or sending equipment, um, sending people? You know, what he was complaining about is the forensic aspect that the United States and, and other countries like that um, take samples from these attacks to do forensic studying, forensic analysis, to try to figure out who is uh, doing these things so that they can be prosecuted, which is all well and good, but they, he says that's for, they get make a profit out of this, and really um, Somalia needs the money for them to be doing it themselves. So let me go to the, um, let me go to the um, terrorist, to the letters to the terrorist therapist, portion of the show, and I will remind you at the end how you can write to me, email me, and so on. Um, and so there's a question today from Robbie in San Mateo, California. And he said, hey, terrorist therapist, I'm getting really worried. I read about countries asking the U.S. for money to fight terrorism. What happens when we run out? Will I start seeing terrorists walking down my street? Well, Robbie, yes, that is the question. And yes, it has been coming up in my potpourri. You know, there, there is more and more news about money um, in relation to terrorism and how more is needed to fight it. Uh, so what's the, it bring, this brings about, you know, a lot of questions. Are, should we help everyone? Should we send more money, for example, um, to Somalia? They certainly have a huge terrorist problem. Um, well, there are lots of other countries that have huge terrorist problems too. Should we be sending money to all these countries? We are sending a lot of money as it is. Should we be sending more because the, the risk, the threat of terrorism is getting increased? Um, it's a moral question as far as we don't want people in these uh, countries to die. Um, but it's also a practical question. How much money do we have? Can we keep bleeding? Can we keep um, sending out money, I mean, it is kind of no end because, because the real issue is that there are more terrorists um, every minute. I mean, you know, I just said uh, 18,000 in France that are being in the process of being radicalized. 
Uh, I suspect that there are at least that many in the United States, although no one talks about that or hardly ever. Um, and so is there no end? Because, you know, it's like, uh, it, it's like there's a new terrorist every moment. So these are questions, you know, hard questions. Well, one answer, um, one answer that is uh, saving some money. I mean, one answer was, you know, getting the money back, uh, finding out, doing more investigation like France did to find out about the illegal money that is going out to ISIS. Um, another example is the um, what's happening that the United States is doing, targeting more and more terrorist financing with sanctions. There is a new round of sanctions that we are doing. Um, the, just recently, there were sanctions announced on eight people and a business affiliated with ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Uh, and we, you know, um, have been working more and more with some countries uh, in the Middle East to try to crack down on this, notably in May, this past May, uh, during President Trump's trip to Saudi Arabia, he helped to um, work out, get set, set up the terrorist financing targeting center that was established in May. And so um, these, this agency is creating more sanctions, doing more investigating, so that in fact, uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda are finding it harder to raise move and distribute money. And also there's something, um, you know, there's also some similar kinds of sanctions going, of course, as you know, to North Korea and in Iran, the elite Islamic Revolutionary Guard also, and so on, other, other terrorist organizations. So that is one relatively inexpensive way. I mean, of course it costs money to do all this investigation and so on, but it is a relatively, there is, for the money that is spent, there is a bigger return, return on investment. There we go. I am not a, an expert in finances, believe me, but I am just pointing this out mainly for you to be thinking about it as, um, as in terms of the thin veil that lies between us and terror and how we have to be getting smarter with our money. Um, there's also other things, you know, uh, promised a potpourri. There are also other ways of looking at this whole issue of money and terrorism and following the money. Um, there is the whole issue of money laundering. Now, um, I mean, that's kind of what we've, that's essentially what we've been talking about in, in a number of these other cases, but there are other ways. Um, Bitcoin is a current example, get it current example. Um, it's a crazy kind of thing that apparently a lot of celebrities are investing in. Paris Hilton, Floyd Bayweather, uh, Mike Tyson, um, some rappers, and so on. Because Bitcoin is a way to try to hide your money from the government. From the government. I government. I am government. I am not have any Bitcoins. <laughs> Um, but, and, and really I'm concerned, I, don't, I wouldn't invest in it because I think when, when and if this gets to be bigger and the government realizes it's missing taxes, um, I think the whole thing may explode. But then there are other ways to do money laundering. For example, 
You know, you may have heard this past week about the brother of Stephen Paddock, who was um, caught with child pornography. That's a uh, means that people use uh, for money laundering. And even if you look at just Stephen Paddock himself, the gambling is a way of money laundering. So was that what his family, I mean, remember, his father was the notorious bank robber. So is this, I mean, obviously this is a very dysfunctional family. And did they learn that maybe a safer way of um, making money was um, laundering it through gambling and, uh, and pornography? Just as an example, just saying. And then last on the list of, uh, of plates on my potpourri, um, another example, there was a, a, a taxi driver in um, Chicago. This man, Raja Khan, worked for 30 years as a Chicago cab driver, and he was uh, caught for aiding an individual with ties to terrorism. And he was put in jail for seven years and he just got out. And he applied, reapplied, or applied to reinstate his cab license. And he was denied by the city and then he tried Uber and they denied him too. But try, try again, Lyft accepted him as a driver for them. And so, you know, this all got, somehow it got found out. <laughs> And um, the man, Rajar Khan, said, he, of course, he takes no responsibility for this whatsoever. He says, they should check my background before they give me the job. That's their problem, not my problem. I don't want to go on welfare. I'm a hard worker. I want to earn my money and feed my family. Well, yes, of course, um, you know, people who come out of jail, although people who come out of jail in relation to terrorism crimes should still be under surveillance, but people who come out of jail in general should have opportunities to, um, to go straight, you know, to, to earn money, to feed their family, and to, um, to you know, get back on the right track. But, um, and there are some programs to help former prisoners, um, but I think, I don't think Mr. Khan is going to be driving a cab anytime soon in Chicago. However, <laughs> he may well, unless they're really keeping surveillance on him, he may well travel to some other city and get a license driving a cab. And indeed, you know, maybe he's learned his lesson and maybe he's not going to be um, funneling these cab fares, these cash cab fares to terrorists. We, we never know. We need to give him a chance, right? And then, of course, Chicago didn't wait long to cite Lyft with citations and ask them for $2 million for their mistake in granting um, this Mr. Khan a license to drive for them. And of course, they have their little excuses. They, they wrote, the safety of the Lyft community is our top priority. We immediately deactivated the driver in question when we became aware of this situation. Our independent background check providers should not have approved the driver. So everybody, you know, I love it. They, <laughs> they keep passing the buck, literally. They keep passing the buck. It's not my fault. The, they, they hired me. <laughs> it's not my fault. And then what does Lyft say? Not my fault. It's the fault of the independent background checker. I mean, give me a break. And this is how terrorists, this is how they manage to commit attacks. 
and um, get into our country and, uh, and, you know, perpetrate their plans because people are not on the ball, not paying enough attention to all of these things. So now that you know this, you can spread the word and you can um, try to assure uh, that people pay more attention and you can certainly pay more attention yourself to some of these scams and strange things that are going on. And now, you know, you can also um, realize, be aware that uh, not, you know, there always, there have always been money scams forever, but now the new wrinkle is that a lot of these money scams have the goal of sending money to ISIS and we need to do more to stop them. So let me give you my ways that you can um, get more information from me. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.terroristtherapist.com, terroristtherapist.com. You can go to my Facebook page, which is, if you just put in on Facebook, terrorist therapist, you know, if you search, on Facebook for terrorist therapists, you will come to my page. And, um, and then of course, if you would like to buy my book, just released in time for 9-11 this year, called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. Um, you can go to the publisher's website. Well, the books, the books are uh, in bookstores, you know, wherever books are sold, in bookstores, Online, um, you can also go to my publisher's website, which is um, www.terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.